Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's Reddit series video from the subreddit HFY called Retreat Hell, Chapter 12, written by Lithy Dragon. Battalion, Hatan, huh? Nearly 800 boots stomped and packed dirt. Rest right, rest. Bradford staccard her left arm straight to the side and head turned to the right. She shuffled into an even separation directly behind her. Rin, quick to copy her motions. Ready, run. Arm down, facing straight ahead. Left, face. The boot stomped as 800 marines and one cashman pivoted place. Axe close intervals, dress left, dress. Rin was very quicker to copy Bradford than the other marines this time. The facing commands aren't too dissimilar from the Gandalin army's training, and the principle is the same. Ready, front, right, base. Muffled thumps like almost 800 boots clopped and the dirt reverberated across the impromptu parade ground. At ease. Rin relaxed from the attention posture along with the rest of the battalion, and had to resist the urge to reach up and tug on a horn. As polished as they were, I don't want to smudge them. He smirked, remembering his encounter with the rest of the squad the previous night. He had walked into the squad's tent alone. Bradford had all but sprinted for the head as soon as they were dropped off. Stepping inside, he found the rest of the squad all staring at him with unnerving grins. We're meeting all of them fancy new artifices tomorrow, Kowalski said, and damn it if our shields ain't gonna show them all up. No, Rin said, taking a step back, every danger sense he had flaring. Come on, Rin, Kimber said, holding up a power tool that they had purchased the other day. Mr. Dremel's calling your name. He pressed the button on the side, causing the tip to spin at an alarming rate with a high-pitched whine. Rin, Rin, Rin! His ears jumped up in alarm and then swept flat back against his skull. Frick, no. The human expletive seemed to fit. Come on, brah, Stevan said. It won't hurt, I think. Rin took a step back, deciding it was time to leave. His ears shut up again as he found his path blocked by a living mountain. Tchah! Hold him, Kowalski said. Rin tried to bolt, but he really did. But Gomez already had his arms around him. Before he knew it, the rest of the squad piled on. He squirmed, trying to break free, but Gomez's arms just squeezed tighter. A hand reached up to grab his head and snapped at it. Ah, frick it, he bit me! Pin him down! The world tilted and Rin found himself on the ground, pinned under the weight of several marines. But his hands were still free-ish, and he concentrated, drawing up his reserve, shaping the manner as he wiggled around, quickly losing the battle to keep them from completely pinning him. The charge was ready, and the leg came up into convenient reach. Ah, frick, goddammit, he's fricking zapping me. Get his hands, goddammit, my whole leg. Just don't fricking work. Fricking old still. Now... Tell me when it starts to hurt, Kimber said. The Dremel whined. Frick you, Rin growled. Am I should have worn a mask for this. I got a yet dust in my mouth. Rin struggled and cursed for several more minutes before finally resigning himself to the efforts, though he grumbled the entire time. Two hours later, and the horns were smoother and glossier than they'd ever been in his entire life. With just a little polish in the morning, they gleamed a deeper ebony than his fur. He might have also gotten cracked a rib or two in the process, he wasn't sure. Something was definitely bruised, but um, at least... Snapping back to the present, he realized that the battalion's XO was talking. Ah, suppressing more than just a battalion, you are representing the entire U.S. Marine Corps. 
the entire U.S. military, the United States itself, and all of humanity. I have faith in all of you. Do not disappoint me. An awkward silence fell as Winter stepped on the side. She glanced at her watch with a subtle frown. How long are we going to be waiting here? Someone whispered. Don't know any more than you do, man, said someone else. Stand by to stand by, said a third marine. Ren snorted. I've stood at attention for half a day waiting for some Lord General to come and address the troops more than once. <laughs> Freaking bras are all the same, the first marine said. A motion caught his eyes and he saw the Humvee approaching, followed by three carriages, each pulled by a pair of cushy. Battalion! Ten! And the conversation died down as the marine snapped to attention. The Humvee rolled to a stop in front of the battalion, the carriages in a line behind it. The cushy team that led the carriage snorted and shook their heads as the squeal of the Humvee's brakes. Are those horses a ralk? heard a marine mutter. In front of the passenger door of the Humvee opened and Lieutenant Colonel Michael stepped out. As he turned to face the carriages, a footman leapt down from the two leading carriages to place steps before the doors of them opened. The passengers of the rear carriage, which appeared less well appointed, were let open of their own door. Six Kishmen stepped out of the carriage. The first carriages held of only passengers, the second held three, and the last held two. Ren's ears twitched as he recognized the livery of the first coach. That carriage belongs to the Archduke Kamani Yashai. He and his sons are eight and ninth in line for the throne. Michaels approached the duke and shook his hand, and they led the rest of the artificers to stand in front of the barracks and winters, who stood at the head of the formation. Barracks saluted, All present, sir. Michaels returned the salute, Outstanding, Sergeant Major. Tell the men to stand at ease. Aye, sir. Battalion, at ease. Ren relaxed with the other marines, subtly leaning around Bradford's shoulder to get a glimpse of his fellow Kishman, a pair of Osprey rumbling overhead in the near distance. Second Battalion, Miracle said, these are the new artificers that will be joining us for the next few weeks. He gestured to the steady and cream-colored Kishman standing next to him. He lacked the distinctive reddish color of the royal family, but his fur still had a hint of rust color and his blunted nose and forward jagging horns clearly marked him as high nobility. We are honored to have the presence of Lord Commander Kinumu Yushai, Duke of Yushai. He moved next to the tawny Kishman with a short, narrow snout and forward-facing horns. Earl and Knight Captain Talmu Anyo. Anyo gave a curt nod as Michaels indicated a dusky-furred Kishman speckled with black stripes and a tan and cream Kishman. Both of their horns had a gentle forward curve. Lord Artificers Ayesh Ayan and Kimo Sayesh. Second Artificer Namlu Tetya. Michaels pointed at the russet Kishman with the splotches of tan and cream and the straight horns. Second Artificer Shiyan Yanyaji. Jin's ears popped up as he recognized the distinctive brown spots and stripes of his cream referred roommate. I haven't seen him since university. Over the next few weeks, we will work together to develop a combined arms tactics and techniques. Two artificers will be assigned to work with each company, with Duke Yushai joining me at Battalion HQ. He turned to smile at Rin's company. I'm sorry, Echo Company, but you're only getting one new artificer. You already got one. A few chuckles rippled through the ranks, and somebody nudged Rin from behind. After we make those assignments, Michael continued, turning to look across the rest of the Marines, you will have a day to get your new squadmate settled in and familiarized with the camp and basic ops. 
Tomorrow, we hit the ground running. Major Winters has worked with the liaisons from the Gandan Royal Host, as well as our own experts, and put together an aggressive training and integration program. We will be putting each other through their paces to show what we can do, coupled with the strategy and planning sessions and team-building experience. He paused, sweeping his gaze across the battalion for effect. We're entering a new territory here, integrating capabilities new to both sides. We know how Marines fight, how Ganon friends know how the Royal Host fights. We've all seen how the enemy fights. He stretched himself a little taller, raising his voice for emphasis. There is nobody who has had better look at the challenges of this war than all of you standing here now. He raised his fist, his thumb pointed up, shaking it up and down. If you have ideas, suggestions, solutions, pass them up the chain. You're the ones who have to see the crap for real. He pointed his whole hand at the battalion. You are the ones who will have to make whatever we come up with work on the field. I'd rather get as much input from you all, the actual boots on the ground, than a bunch of pension-pushing bean counters deployed in a cubicle somewhere back in D.C. Hoorah! Hoorah! He pointed at the ground beneath their feet. What we do here in the next few weeks will set the foundation for combat doctrine for years to come. He pointed at the battalion again. Do it right, do it the marine way, and make your country proud. Hoorah! Hoorah! Major Winters, I want a company commanders meeting at HQ in five minutes. Officers and senior enlisted will determine company assignments and discuss accommodations for the chain of command for our new artificer specialists. Aye, sir. Sergeant Major, keep our resident experts behind. You may dismiss the rest of the battalion to the barracks. They'll be meeting their artificers assigned to the company soon. Aye, sir. Baracus turned to the formation. Battalion! Attend! Rin snapped his attention along with the Marines. Second Squad, First Platoon, Echo Company, stay here. The rest of you are to return to your barracks. Hoorah! Hoorah! He eyed the formation. Retreat, hell! Divide, retreat, hell! Dismissed. As the rest of the battalion fell out of formation, Bradford remained standing at attention. Ren followed her lead, intently studying the tight bun her hair was folded into. His ears knocked back in line with his horns. Once the other marines moved away from them, Bradford relaxed and stepped forward. Ren and the rest of the squad fell in behind her. She stopped in front of Colonel Michaels and snapped out a crisp salute. The rest of marines stopped and did the same. Ren bent forward slightly and dipped his head in a proper military bow. Second squad reporting as ordered, sir. Stand at ease, sergeant. Michael said, returning the salute. Ren noted that Winters and Barakas both saluted as well. Duke Yahai snapped to attention and dipped his head in a crisp acknowledgement, and the other nobles hesitated, but the subtle flick of Yeshai's tail quickly followed his example. Bradford dropped her salute and eased into a relaxed posture, clasping her hands in front of her waist. Lord Commander, Michael said, this is Sergeant Bradford and Second Officer Yayat. The second artificer linked up with second squad in our first fight in the war, and has been tagging along ever since. It is a pleasure to meet you, second artificer, Yeshai said. From what the Colonel Michaels has told me, you have provided invaluable service to his battalion. It was merely doing my job, my lord, Ren said, his ears swinging back as he stifled embarrassment at the recognition. And uh, polishing up quite well, I see, 
Yashai said, glancing him up and down. You put our travel-dusty appearance to shame. He gestured at the other Kishman. Anya flicked his ears in annoyance while staring at Yashai's shoulder. Rin felt the pride and vindication beaming off the humans beside him and behind him. I have the rest of my squad to thank for that, my lord. They have a few, um, tricks for cleaning one up. Anyo swung an ear forward as his eyes narrowed ever so slightly. Well, hopefully they shall share. Yashai yipped it off. In the meantime, try not to blind us with the glare from your horns. I will do so, my lord. I'd be more concerned with being brained by that great snout of his, my lord. Yinyad said, stepping forward, earning himself a glare from Anyo. Jian! Yin smiled, reaching out with his hand to clasp his old friend's arm. Haven't seen you in an age. Not since we shared a room at Yanghei. Yang Yad grinned, gripping his arm tight. Seven years, and I still can't get out of the sight of the snout of yours. When did you join the army? I thought you had an academic root, Ren asked. The last thing I need is for him to keep talking about how big my nose is in front of the humans. About four years ago, when the writ ran out, he rolled his eyes and shrugged. It's been a soldier's life since. He released Rin's arm and flicked his ears at him and it trapped his own horns. They had a gentler rearward swerve. Though, it looks like it's done you well. Rin shrugged his ears, stepping back in line with the humans. I see that not all introductions are necessary, Yishai said, flicking an amused ear at them. Second artificer, Yayat, since you have developed some experience with humans, it was Major Winter's suggestion that you might want to be able to put some initial guidance. And Colonel Winters and I agree. Short as your time is the humans has been, I'm given to understand that it has not been uneventful, and that you have even made two trips to Earth. Yes, my lord, Ren said, dipping his head in a slight bow of affirmation. His ears held back as they shifted awkwardly. Yashai glanced at Michaels, giving him a deferred flick of his ear. Michaels nodded. Yet, in addition to everything else, you are assigned to act as a cultural guide and liaison for your fellow artificers, and for the battalion, for the first couple weeks anyway, while we get used to each other. Yashai smiled. You are a resident human expert, after all. Yes, my lord, Ren nodded with both of them, though I am not sure I can provide more insight than what can be gained from just asking each other. From what all I've been taught and experienced in diplomacy, Yishai said, chuckling, it's the asking that is always the sticking point. As you say, my lord, Ren said, his ears drooping in resignation. He nodded again, then had to suppress a frown and he caught Anyo glaring at him again. That's a, you're talking above your station glare, for sure. Colonel, Winters said, stepping into the conversation. She nodded over her shoulder to the officer in the different style uniform. Excuse me for a moment, he said, stepping away. So, uh, Nalmu said, strutting forward. Rin's nose twitched as the musk he wore wafted along with him. Pardon my forwardness, my lords, but I do hope that we get some time away from the camp. There aren't many tales around here to snag, if you know what I mean. Rin glanced at his artificially straight horns and had to keep himself from rolling his eyes. Typical. Oh, we're marines, Davies piped up with a smirk with a wink. We always know how to find tail and snag, if you know what I mean. Taking a deep breath, Rin drove into his newly assigned role of cultural guide. So, humans, he said. Resent, Kowalski said. Rin took another deep breath. Humans look a lot like stocky elves. Heh, he's talking about you, Davies, Kowalski said in an exaggerated whisper. Rin could feel the heat of Davies' return glare through the fur on the back of his head. 
They look much like owls, but resemblance aside, they are nothing like owls. I'm beginning to see that, Ishai said, his ears twitching in amusement. Humans are often brash, loud, and abrasive, or at least these ones are, he flicked his ears to the marines around him. I'll take that as a compliment, Kowalski said. Some more than others, Kowalski grinned. But they are also kind, compassionate, and caring. They have much to share with us, as an alien as they may seem. We are not so different in the core of who we are. He touched his chest near his heart. And they have incredible miracles that they are willing to throw in against the elves, Ishaya said. For now, Anyo muttered, earning himself a slight ear twitch from the duke. Miracles they can teach us, Rin said. As amazing as they can do to seems, you haven't seen a fraction of it. They haven't, or any more advanced than us only a few centuries ago. But they are willing to teach us. I can't speak for our diplomats or political leaders, Radford spoke up. But we have no reason not to share a lot of things. Plus, sir, you've got magic, and I can assure you we'll be happy to trade a lot for that. Sir, Anyo stepped forward, he is no sir, he is a son of an Archduke Dushai, he is a member of the royal family, and you will address him as my lord or your grace, soldier. In any other circumstance, your proper action would be to kneel before him. Remember your place, and appreciate the treatment of your betters. Pardon me, sir, Bradford said, turning a steely eye glare at him. Her back ramrod straight, but America, we do not have nor recognize nobility. Our nation was founded on the principle that all people are born equal, and Americans do not kneel before anyone. Are all equal? Anyo snorted his ears, turning a dismissive flip. And who rules you? Do you just pick someone from amongst you and voted on it? Yes, Bradford said. It's called democracy. Anyo opened his mouth further mockery, but found himself brought up short by Bradford's response. Ha, he didn't expect that, Rent thought. Though, I didn't either. And we are not ruled, we are governed, Bradford added. The United States of America is a republic with a duly and democratically elected president who, from the government, by the people, for the people, and of the people. That is the most impetuous, absurd thing that I've ever heard, Anyo sneered. His ears poked straight up. And I will not be spoken to in such a way by a common soldier. Never mind a woman playing at Captain Knight, Ishai said his sharp tone signaling the end of the discussion. The humans clearly have many cultural differences, but this is not the first time we've encountered nor worked with peoples of widely different cultures, nor should you be surprised by female warriors. Many of the most powerful Dalgra battlecrasters are women, after all. The humans have shown they wish to be both our friends and allies, and gods above and below, we need them. He gave Anya a stern glare. Whatever cultural differences and disagreements we have with them must be put aside. As you say, your grace, Anyo said, dipping forward in modest bow. He stepped back but made no apology. Bradford eyed him for a moment, then turned away, clearly dismissing him from her thought. Ren heaved an internal sigh of relief, glad that he did not have to choose between trying to calm the situation and defending Bradford. Everything all right over there? Michaels asked, returning to the group. Just fine, sir. Bradford replied without hesitation. Good, Michael said. Lord Commander, I'm about to meet up with the rest of the battalion leadership. I'm sure you want to be present. Of course, Ishai said. He glanced at Anya with a pointed flick of his ear. I expect our integration to begin apace while I'm gone. Yes, my lord, Anya replied. Sir, Bradford said, snapping to attention and rendering a crisp salute. 
Carry on, Sergeant. Michaels returned the salute, gave them the tour of the new facilities. Aye, sir, Bradford said, dropping her arm. Michaels turned and departed and Duke alongside. Bradford turned and glanced at the Kishman, then the Marines. We just put up a whole new mini-compound for this up. Let's go to the barracks first, then what our training facilities. She considered a moment. Then we'll show you the MCX they just put up on the other side of the base. There's not much there yet, but they might occasionally have something in stock worth buying while you're here. By then, it should be chow time. The two enlisted artificers gave agreeable nods, poking up at the mention of food. Ayan and Sayash both glanced at Anya, taking a cue from him. The Gandlin Earl narrowed his eyes at Bradford, his ears cocked in a distasteful angle, but he nodded an allowance. Bradford nodded ahead, past the Marines. Barracks are this way, then. Man, that guy is a dick, Kimber muttered as they left the sparsely stocked and half-constructed pre-assembled building that was the M.O.B. Talk MCX. He seems to have a stick shoved up his ass about us. Bois said, glancing over his shoulder at Anyo, who trailed behind them the enlisted humans and Kishman, flanked by the other Gandlet nobles. It's not just you, Cheyenne said, sniffing at the Snickers that the squad had purchased for him. We're from the same artillery regiment. He's not in my line or battery, thank the gods, but I've passed him often enough. He's a stick up the ass about everything, he chuckled. I like that phrase, I'm gonna steal it. Be our guest, Edison said. The Corps has shamelessly stolen enough of ours over the years. Cheyenne nodded and then frowned at the Snickers, perplexed at the wrapper. Ren held up his own and demonstrated how to open it, copying that that he seen the Marines do. The candy bars exposed and they both eyed them skeptically, gave him another sniff and then each took a bite. The ears shot up in unison. Above and below! Ren said with a mouth around the bite. The sticky, chewy bit in the middle is a bit awkward, but the nuts and those are definitely nuts give it a satisfying crunch. And it's so sweet. He took another bite, and then Cheyenne fell into a race to see who could finish theirs the fastest. Shogun! Yeah, I think chocolate's a hit, Samson said. Yep, said Miller. If it doesn't kill them, Bradford sighed. What? Cheyenne asked, freezing, with his tongue still hanging the inside of his wrapper. Nah, nothing we've fed shields made him kill over yet. Kowalski waved away the concerns. They'll be fine. I don't know, he shed out that pile of death while we were patrolling at the wall Saturday morning, Kimber said. Looked like he wanted to die while doing it too. Ah, Mexican food will do that to anyone. Gomez about died doing the same thing. Ah, well, he also chugged half a bottle of holy jolokai. Kimber laughed. That would make anyone regret living on the way back out. What's bad about, uh, chocolate? Ren asked, looking mournfully down at the empty wrapper. And it was so good too. It's got alkaloids in it and can kill a lot of creatures if they eat enough of it, Bradford said. Don't know what they'll do to you, which is why you really need to stop eating whatever these guys feed you. But they're safe for humans. More or less, Bradford said. We just tolerate a lot better, I think. Dude, humans can eat just about anything, Edison said. There's not a thing on earth that someone hasn't eaten or tried to eat at some point or the other. Well, Rin said, eyeing the wrapper, has any residual trace of chocolate. If we Kishman can survive royal host field rations, I think we can survive anything that you guys can make as food. Cheyenne snorted. God's above, now that is the truth. Speaking of food, Chetcha said, holding up his own empty wrapper. Are we going to have more of these? Bradford chuckled. There are holes right up here. It's not going gourmet dining, but it's better than MREs. Human field rations, Rin said when Tetya cocked an ear. Gourmet dining compared to our field rations. 
The straight-horned artificer nodded, scratching an ear. So, um, not yet, he said in a low voice. I can't help but notice that the humans seem to, um, uh, match up in some areas. If you put a sack over their head and snuff out the candles, one might not be able to tell the difference, if you know what I mean. Rin blinked in the initial confusion, but his ears twitched as the realization started to dawn. I don't want to know what you mean. I don't want to know what you mean. I don't want to know what you... Ah, frick. You haven't perchance gone chasing some uh, alternate tale, have you? And maybe gave you a good guy's report, huh? Tetya waggled his ears suggestively. Staring straight ahead, Rin locked his expression in place. His agitation betrayed only by the slight twitch in an ear. Artificer Tetya, such a thing would be unspeakably inappropriate and unbecoming, as has been most of your dialogue. Ah, I yet don't be such a prude with soldiers in the midst of war. Manly men doing manly things. We might die tomorrow, so that's what I always tell them. Gets me up their skirts right quick. He waggled his ears. That, again, the coin or two, if you know what I mean. Rin was saved from further uncomfortable conversation by their arrival at the chow hall. After a brief directions to the lords on where to find the officer's mess, the enlisted persons fell into the food line. He made sure to distance himself from Tetya and found himself sitting next to Bradford, as usual. Is she doing that on purpose? So, he's quite the womanizer, she said, nodding at his recent source of annoyance. It's to be expected, he sighed, given his horns. I notice they seem unusually, um, straight. What's up with that? He had them straightened. He paused and scooped a bite of his food into his mouth. The main dish was some kind of meat with gravy and noodles. Bradford raised an eyebrow, and he continued when his mouth was clear again. For most Kishman commoners, our horns curved backwards to varying degrees. He gestured to his own horns while scarfing down some more bites. It wasn't the greatest meal he'd ever had, but it was better than most he'd had in the last few years. Fourth nimble of families... He swallowed. For most of them, their horns curve forward to some degree. The royal family has a sharp jog forward, like Lord Commander Yashai's horns. Your noble classes are based on the curvature of their horns. She gave him a sidelong glance. No, he shook his head. Not exactly. I mean, uh, he frowned. Well, let me put it that way. Yeah, kind of, he sighed. It's a sign of family lineage, and all the original Gandalin noble families had forward curving horns. Not all nobility come from families with forward-curving horns anymore, but most do. So forward-curving horns are a sign of nobility, wealth, and prosperity, while rearward-curving horns are a sign of pleasantry. So he had his horns straightened to make himself look more attractive. Yeah, he nodded, grateful for the opportunity to shovel more food down his gullet. But why straight? Why not curve them forward? Because that would get him charged with impersonating nobility. Ah... Such a great and dastardly crime, Bradford rolled her eyes. Yeah, Wren nodded around another bite of food, so people who want to appear wealthier or higher status than they are, usually to impress the ladies, will have the shape of their horns modified. But if they're just peasants, they don't dare have them curve forward. Yes, he nodded, scraping the plate and scooping what was left onto his fork. That's so silly, she shook her head and sighed. Though, I guess we can't talk too much. We used to discriminate against and even enslave each other based on our skin color. She frowned. Some still do. Discriminate, that is. Slavery is illegal, so is discrimination. But those are harder to prove than take against. Rin quirked an ear. Slavery is, uh, not common these days. He gathered his utensils and tray and stood up. Bradford quickly scooped the last of her food into her mouth and joined him. That could be a problem, she said. 
before swallowing, at least in the long term. He shrugged. There are hardly any slaves in the kingdom anymore. He dropped his trash and utensils into the appropriate receptacles. Most slaves are from indentures who sold themselves into slavery to pay debts, or prisoners captured in battle. With the war against the Yarls going the way it has, the king offered to pay off any indenture and pay double the standard rate for indentured enlistment in the royal host. Between that and the drafts, there aren't many who would sell themselves to slavery. And the Yarls don't let themselves get captured. Exiting the chow hall, Bradford stepped to the side and sat down on a stack of lumber that hadn't been used or moved yet. Almost never, yes, he nodded, joining her. He looked down at the precision-cut timbers they sat on, when up then rapidly built structures around him. Some of them were under construction. Will you really teach us all of this? he asked, waving his hand through around them. Don't see why not, she said, and he snorted. Besides, it's not like we could do much to prevent it. There are too many businesses that'll jump at the new markets and trade that you guys represent. We couldn't stop it if we tried, she frowned. You'll have to be careful that they don't rob you blind. Ha! <laughs> he waggled his ears at her. Our lords and merchants are quite good at robbing people blind themselves. I think we'll be fine. She chuckled. Good. We haven't always done the right by the people who were technologically behind us. She frowned. We're more conscious of it now, and I think you guys have plenty of leverage with your magic, but it's a trap that we might fall into without even realizing. He nodded and glanced back at the chow hall and his nose twitched. Yin Yet was walking out alongside Shen Yan and the rest of the squad. Does any woman fall for him as he's heavy as he throws it on? Where to next, boss? Kowalski said. Wherever they tell us, Bradford said, nodding to the exit out to the officer's mess, where the nobles were exiting along with Colonel Michaels. Major Winters and Lord Captain Yushai. She stood up as they approached and the whole group popped to attention and saluted. Good afternoon, sir, she said as Michaels returned the salute. At ease, Sergeant. He glanced at the squad. Marines, artificers, we have your assignments. Yushai stepped forward, reading out the scrap of paper. Lord Sashai, we will be joining Second Artificer Ayat and Echo Company. Lord Ayan and you will be Second Artificer Chetya and joining Epochstrak Company. Night Captain Anyo, you and Second Artificer Yenyed will be joining Delta Company. I'll be working with Colonel Michaels and Major Winters in Headquarters Company. Are there any questions? No, my lord, the Artificers quietly echoed. Renan glanced at Shinyan, a little disappointed that he was not assigned to Echo Company with him. We were never great friends, but we were friends, and I have a few of them left these days. He rolled his ears either way. We'll still be working together. Excellent, Yushai said, folding the piece of paper and tucking it away. Sergeant, Michael said, take your men and escort everyone to their respective companies and provide introductions. He nodded at Winters and Yushai. We have some training plans to finalize. Hi, sir, Bradford nodded. Oh, and Sergeant, Michael said, pausing as he stared to turn away. Make sure the company commanders know that once everyone is settled in, they are to be taken to medical. Everyone needs to get their shots. Aye, sir, she said again. Michaels gave her a satisfied nod, then turned to lead Winters and Yushai away. She turned to look at the squad on accompanying artifices. Back to the barracks it is. You said that we'll all be sleeping there together, Tetya asked, leering. Because if there are any ladies around, I won't be sleeping at all, if you know what I mean. Bradford pursed her lips, rinsed, Davies chuckled, and the rest of the squad rolled their eyes or suppressed a groan. At least we won't have to deal with him so much. End of chapter.
And that, my friends, is the end of the video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you wish to support the author, check the links down below for the original link. But if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways listed down below. But the easiest would be to share this with as many people as possible to help the channel grow. And I will see you all in the next video. And until then, I hope you all have a good one. Cheers.